Thanks, Nick Lee. If you are new tonight, you've joined us in week two of a two-part series on Christian generosity. Uh, last week we looked at chapter eight, this week chapter nine of 2 Corinthians. So please keep your Bibles open there, and I'm going to ask God to help us. Uh, Father, we want to thank you that you know us by name, you love us deeply. Uh, we thank you that you care for the way that we live in this world, and you want us to live in a way that is right and pleases you. Lord, we acknowledge that when we come to generosity, it's hard and it's difficult to live in this world and uh, to be shaped by the scriptures and not by the people that we see around us. And so we pray now for a powerful work of your spirit to transform our hearts, to change our minds and to give us this this love for you and a love for the saints uh, that makes us generous. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Oh, but he was a, a tight-fisted, hand-at-the-grindstone a Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel ever struck out generous fire. Secret, self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. It's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, Scrooge from Christmas Carol, the, the words of Charles Dickens. And if you know the story, it's a great, wonderful story. You've got this lonely old miser who is grumpy and he is stingy and he's called Scrooge. And yet the book ends with this completely transformed man, not just in terms of his generosity, but in terms of his joy and his cheerfulness. And you get this amazing shift from grumpy and stingy to generous and joyful. Listen to how Dickens describes him. After the transformation, he became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good, as, as good, as, as good a man as the good old city knew. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, and Scrooge laughed himself. It's a brilliant story from miserable and stingy and grumpy to joyful and generous. And I'm guessing if I said to you, are you Scrooge 1 or Scrooge 2? I'm guessing you're kind of saying, oh, I'd like to see myself a bit more like the transformed Scrooge. We don't like to think of ourselves as stingy and grumpy and hoarding all for ourselves, do we? But often, my friends, our perceptions of ourselves are very different to the reality. I don't know you all personally. And I don't know your situation or your heart or your generosity. But I do know, if you're like me, it's much easier to, to keep and to hoard than to give and to be generous. You'll know the situation in Corinth now. Uh, there were Christians in a place called Jerusalem, a church in Jerusalem, and the Christians, they were really suffering. They were poor, they were needy, they were starving, they were being persecuted, and the Apostle Paul set up this fund. And the Corinthian church said, you know, we would love to give. And it's like the Corinthians adopted this church in Jerusalem as their missionaries, 
and they had the mission board at the back and they had the leaflets there, they had the pledge forms there in their hearts. They said, I'd love to give. But as I said last week, it's, it's easy to say we'd love to give and it's much harder to put your hand in your pocket and actually give. Words are easy, actions are hard. It's easy to say, oh, I'd love to help serve a church. I'd love to, to go to James Mercer Retirement Village on a Saturday afternoon. It's much, much harder to give up your precious Saturday afternoon to actually put your words into action. And the problem was that, that enthusiasm and the desire of the Corinthian church, it hadn't shown itself in action. And they thought that they were generous because they talked about generosity. But in reality, they were the Scrooges. And the embarrassing thing for Paul is that Paul had boasted about the Corinthian church and how generous they were. There was another church in Macedonia and this church were really, really poor. They were doing it tough and they were struggling and they had so little. And Paul went to the church in Macedonia and said, do you know what guys, There's, I've been to this amazing church, I've met this amazing group of people and they are filthy rich. You should go to this church. A lot of people there in this church, they live in apartments with, with water views. And a lot of people in this church, you know, they haven't got just one car, they've got two cars. And a lot of people in this church, they, they go on overseas holidays. And the majority of people in this church, they've got iPods and they've got plasma TVs, it's just the norm in that church. But you know what guys, this, these Christians in, sorry, in Corinth, they, they are, they're amazing because they've got it all and yet they are so generous. Except Paul is now really embarrassed because the words of the Corinthians hadn't actually shown itself in action. They said they would give, but they just didn't bother following up. I'm sure there was good intentions, but those good intentions just sat in the pew as they walked out of church. And the good intentions just sat in a pledge sheet in their Bible or on their internet, waiting, waiting to press the button send. And Paul is saying, come on Corinthians, sort out your generosity, it really, really matters. Let me just re-emphasize that when I talk about generosity, I'm not just talking about money. Money in many ways is the easy way that we can be generous. It's easy to write a check, it's easy to hand over some money and think that we've been generous. By generosity I mean money, but I also mean the way you use your time, and the way that you use your gifts, and your skills, and your energies, your whole being, which actually belongs to Jesus, and you say, I want to give this back to God. That's being generous. And it all starts in the heart. Remember that? 8 verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. If you've grasped God's grace to you, if you've understood that all that God has given you in Christ He's given you life and he's given you forgiveness. He's given you freedom. And now everything that you have belongs to him. Your body, your mind, your time, your skills, your energy, and yes, your money. If you've grasped grace, then you'll want to give and you'll want to give back. It all starts here in your heart. And it's important I say again this week, God does not want your money if he hasn't got your heart. And God does not want your time and your energies if he has not got your heart. But tonight I want to focus on another reason for generosity. It's a surprising one. It's one which sort of jars with me. 
when I hear it, sort of the red flags go up and I say, no, no, that can't be right, God. It sort of sits uncomfortably with me. And this is another reason for generosity. Listen carefully. So, and you will reap. So, and you will reap. Verse 6 is the key to understand this whole section. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's the principle. Be generous and you'll be amazed at what you get back. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. Are you uncomfortable with this? Are the red flags going up? It's saying that the farmer, if, he, if, he's, if he's not willing to scatter lots of seeds, he will not have a bumper harvest. If he just scatters a few seeds and hauls up the rest, there's no way he'll get a good crop. And Paul is saying, if you want to reap in abundance, if you want to experience abundance, you've got to sow, and sow generously. Now let me be clear what I'm not saying. He's not saying, give a hundred bucks, and you get 200 bucks back. He's not saying fill in your credit card slip and God will bless you with a new house and a new car. That's not what he's saying, but he's saying this. As we sow, as we sow, as we give our time, as we give our energy, as we give our money, as we give our gifts, as we give our hospitality, as we give our expertise, as we give our good works, as we sow generously, sacrificially and spontaneously, then God will work. And as God works, you will reap. Do you want to see people come to faith? Do you want to see people growing in your faith? Do you want to grow in your faith? Well, Paul says, well, so. Give of your time and your energy and your money. Do you want to reap? Do you want to reap the joy of seeing kids come into Christ? We need to see people sow their time into serving at kids' church and playtime by the bridge. Do you want to reap the joy of, of real fellowship and real friendship, something that we struggle with here at Church by the Bridge? Then so, be generous with your hospitality and your open houses. Do you want to reap the, the harvest of this multimedia generation? Then those of us with the expertise in IT and podcasting and vodcasting need to actually sow and be generous with those gifts. Do you want to reap the joys of seeing God change lives in Ethiopia and Nepal and Ecuador and Myanmar, then sow and be generous with your money and your prayers and your correspondence. You see, it's no good longing to, to see and experience these things if we're not good at sowing. We can't sit and whinge that we don't experience the real joy of these things if, if everything that we've got we hold back from God. Now see how different this is from the world. We say... When I receive, then I'll give, and then I'll be generous. When I hit the jackpot, or when my shares recover, then I'll be generous. If I connect with people, then I'll be generous to them. If I like somebody, I'll invite them to my house. If I've got the time, I will serve. And Paul says, no, no, so, do it first, and then see what God does. Now, my selfish nature will warn me against applying this principle. My mates will tell me, Paul, you're stupid. My family might say, you haven't got time to do that. And the Bible says, no, if you sow generously, then you will reap generously. If you get this right, it will revolutionise your generosity. It's not just about the sowing, it's about the reaping. It's not just about giving, it's actually getting the blessings back.
I've got three points for you tonight. The first one is this. God loves generosity. God loves generosity. What does a generous Christian look like? What pleases God? Look at verse 7. Each man, each woman, should give what he or she has decided in his or her heart. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. What he's decided in his heart Do you spot that? The basis of of generosity is not law, it's grace. No one can specify what the amount of money you must give or the amount of time you must give or what roster you must serve on. It's in your heart. As you reflect on God's grace, as you marvel at what God's done for you, then you decide in your own heart what you give. Paul never talks about 10% like the Old Testament tithe. Uh, For some, 10% is far too little. For others, 10% will leave them struggling. It's not the amount, it's the attitude in your heart, what you decide to give. Each man, verse 7, should give what he has decided. Do you spot that he has decided? It's not casual, it's actually planned, it's worked out, it's not impulsive. He sits down and he decides what he can give. The farmer doesn't wake up one morning and say, this morning I think I'll plant this seed. And the next day, I think I'll do this today. And then the week after, oh, I think actually I'll do something different this week. If he does that, then actually he ends up with nothing. It's actually about switching on your brain and saying, what has God given me in terms of my time and my skills and my energy levels and my family situation and my financial situation? And therefore, I will decide what I can give back to God. What I'd love to give back to God. I wonder how much of our generosity just doesn't happen because you don't plan. If we don't plan, the default is just to do nothing. Again, verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in, in his heart. Not someone else's heart, in his heart. Stop comparing yourself with other people's giving. Stop comparing yourself with the ways that you're serving. Stop comparing yourself about whether you're being competitive or proud. It's between you and God. Generosity is not about seeking your glory, it's about you and God in your heart. And again, this is different to the world, isn't it? The world is always about, always about being seen to be generous. There's a guy called Ted Turner who, who gave away a billion dollars. It was a third of his financial um, uh, assets. And very quickly, lots of other billionaires followed suit. One of those men was a man named Bill Gates prompted into action by another generous giver. But the thing about all those generous... They are very generous people, I'm not knocking them, but the thing about them is that they actually... they get the applause and they get the accolades and actually they benefit from it. And this verse says, now it's about you and God in your heart and no one else should see and no one else needs to know. No plaques on their walls, no list of donors, no big checks written, no photographs, just you and God. And then again, verse 7, it's not reluctantly, it's not under compulsion. No arm twisting, no moral pressure. There's a story of, a, of an evangelist who wanted uh, to get some money for a church building project. And so he came to the church to preach. 
and he put wires under all the pews. And it said in his sermon, stand up if you want to give a hundred pound tonight. And he pressed a button. And electricity flowed through the pews. And all these people stood up. And there's this massive round of applause. And you joke, but actually I've seen a more subtle version of that in churches here in Sydney. You know, the the arm twisting. uh, You know, the manipulation. If you don't give, God will be angry with you. I went to a church in Sydney. I was told that somebody had stolen from God that week because they hadn't tithed. And then the preacher said, and that person is lucky to be alive tonight because God hates people who steal from him. Same thing, isn't it? Manipulation. That's not Christian generosity. God says to you, go home, sit down, plan, pray, look at your heart, be inspired by grace and with joy in your heart, just give and give generously. I love it when people come up to me and they've got a smile on their face and they say, Paul, I've got graphic design skills, how can I help a church? Oh, I've got a bit of time in my hand at the moment. What can I do to help a church? God's blessed me with just some tax return and I'd love to give. Who's in need at church? That's generosity and God loves generosity. See, Paul could have gone straight to Corinth and I'm sure the Corinthians would have given and the money would have come in, but Paul's not interested in the amount, it's the heart that matters. Plan, pray, budget, think, and then with joy in your heart, give. Secondly, God rewards generosity. God does reward generosity. Look at verse 8. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He's saying, do you want to experience God's power at work in your life? Do you want your knowledge of God's character to deepen? Do you want to see God equip you for situations? Do you want to see God show himself to be faithful? Then, then give. You see, there's a little word between verses 7 and verse 8. God loves a cheerful giver and... And God is able to make all grace abound for you. Just in case you're worried that it be on your breadline, just in case you think that all God wants is your money, just in case you're worried about burnout and time and energy, no, no. God is powerful enough to make all his grace abound in you when you're generous. He's saying whatever your circumstances, wherever you are, when you give, when you're generous, God is powerful to supply what you, what you need. Not what you want, but what you need. It's that confidence in the character of God. As we are generous, God equips us for the good work that we're called to. And Paul is talking about spiritual blessings. And the assurance that, um, that God's righteousness endures forever in verse 9. And verse 10, that as we give, we, we see people come to faith and grow. That's the harvest of our righteousness in verse 10. And verse 11, the, the reassurance that a generous giver will be made rich in every way, not necessarily financially, but that experience of joy of deeper love for Jesus and more certain of the truth and better equipped to serve. That, that's your reward, spiritual rewards, depth in Christ. But it's not just spiritual. This is where it grates a bit. I don't think he's just talking about spiritual rewards and spiritual blessings. I think he is talking about materially. Uh, 
the, the Macedonians, they hit rock bottom, and yet they pleaded with Paul for the privilege of giving, and God had provided for them. God had met their need. Sure, they didn't have the house with the harbour view, they didn't have the, the better homes and garden house, and they didn't eat in expensive restaurants, they didn't have the holders on the boat, but the Macedonian church had all that they needed, and they lacked nothing. And so, speaking to the Corinthians, Paul says in verse 10, Now God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, if God can take a small seed and water it and turn that seed into food, if God can do that, won't the same God, verse 10, supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge your harvest of righteousness? Again, don't mishear me. He, he's not saying give away everything, sit back and watch God provide. That's just stupid. What he's saying is, give and trust God to meet your needs. You, you might go without. You might sacrifice your, your daily coffee. But you'll survive without it. And you'll be richly blessed and rewarded. You say, you know, if I give, what will I live on? If a farmer sort of looked out about four months and said, you know, I've got another four months to the harvest, so I need all of this food now and I'm not going to plant anything else. Well, he'd never have a crop in the future. What Paul is saying is that you can afford to sow generously and you can afford to, to give more of your time and your gifts because God is powerful and he will, he will supply what you need. John Bunyan writes in Pilgrim's Progress, A man there was, they called him mad. The more he gave the more he had. It's really the same as Proverbs 11. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will, prof will prosper. He who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. It's just reality of 2 Corinthians 9. When you give, you're refreshed. When you give, you're rewarded. 2 Corinthians 9 says it. My experience says it. I'm sure yours does as well. What are the times when I have grown most in godliness and grown most in Christ? It's when I've been serving most. I go to the beach missions and you serve on the teams and you're utterly, utterly exhausted and you've given up your annual leave and you look at it and you say, whoa, I'm tired. But spiritually you are so refreshed and you're so invigorated and you've been rewarded. The times when, you know, I invite people to my house and I just look at my diary and I just go, I cannot face another two meals and hospitality this week. And you sit down and you pray and you open up your house. And at the end of the night, you are so refreshed spiritually. And there are times, yeah, where I'd like to hold on to my money. But the times when you give it away and you see God use it to bring people to Christ or to supply the needs of those without and you are rewarded. What do you do with those rewards? Verse 11. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Do you spot the cycle? You give. You get back. You're enriched. Why? So you can give more. The more we give, the more you get. The more you get, the more that you give. Uh, one, one farmer who was seen to be exceptionally generous and people came to him and said, how can you afford to keep giving? He replied this, I think it's beautiful. He says this, I keep shoveling into God's bin 
and God keeps shoveling into my bin and God's got the bigger shovel as you give God rewards you God blesses you and you just keep giving back that's the joy of giving I just wonder whether we are thwarting God's work because we're just holding back our expertise our time our houses our friendship our bodies just our energies our mind our money do you want to be a a sad, tight-fisted, Scrooge Christian? Well, just do nothing. Do you want to experience joy and richness in every way? Then, then give generously. God loves generosity. God rewards generosity. And lastly, God is praised through generosity. See, at the end of the day, it's not what Shannon Knowles says. It's not about me. It's not just about me being made rich. Again, verse 11. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And what's the result? And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to me, in thanksgiving to the church, no, in thanksgiving to God. God is praised as, as we are generous. Same in verse 12. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. When we give gifts, you know, often when we give, we expect people to say thank you. And sometimes we do that in church. You know, you invite people around for dinner and you get grumpy if people don't say thank you. It's polite to say thank you, it's nice to say thank you. You get people who serve at the front and they say, I don't feel appreciated, no one said thank you. It's not about that. It's nice to be thanked, of course it is. But ultimately, you want God to be praised, don't you? You want God to be praised and God to receive the glory. And the the Jerusalem Christians didn't praise the Corinthians. They praised God. Because they saw the Corinthians loved God and they were giving back to God. And that's the ultimate purpose for my life and I hope for your life. In everything that we do, the way we spend our time, our energy, our gifts, our house, our family, we want God to be praised. And that's what happened in Corinth. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. It's a great cycle. God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ says you're forgiven, you're redeemed. And when you grasp that, your heart is full of joy and you, you give. And as you give, what does God do? He blesses you and rewards you and he grows you and he feeds you and you get back. And as you get back, you don't say, oh, that's great, I've got lots now. You give more. And as you give more, what happens? People come to you and say, you are such a great, generous person, Paul. Wow, you're amazing. No, no. People say, your God is amazing. And your Lord Jesus is so amazing. And that's why we give, my friends. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, okay, here we go again, more money, more money, you've got it all wrong. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ receiving the glory and God himself being praised. And that comes as you serve with your time and your energy and your money. I'd love to get a maid of mine here, his name's Daniel. I'd love to give his testimony because he's a guy who has so much and he lived ten years of his Christian life a bit like Scrooge. Tight-fisted, 
hard as flint, came to church every Sunday, went to Barbara's every week, kept it all for himself. And yes, he plodded on in his Christian life until God changed his heart. Yeah, he gave lots of money, but it wasn't just the money actually. It was more about his changed attitude to, to wanting to serve and wanting to help people and wanting to give up some time and his energy levels. And if you met Dan today, his whole Christian life has changed. It's marked by, by joy. It's marked by joy because his God is being praised for the way that he's being generous. I pray that we've been as a church that is generous and that you be blessed as you give. But most of all, I pray we be a church that says, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave up everything so that we can be generous. So, and you will leap. So, and you will be blessed. And God's name will be praised. Let me pray.